for August 2nd, 2010. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 109, Air Jaws, Great White Hope. The Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From the left coast, the bleeding edge, the ultimate frontier of America. I am your host, Matthew Rather, here with the panel. It is a three-hander tonight. It is me, Fentil, and Lee yeah. here to overthink all manner of things. But uh, beginning with this. Today, as we record this, uh, it is uh, August 1st, 2010, a Sunday, and the day Lisa Simpson gets married. Uh, that's right. It's on uh, funnybin.tumblr.com, uh, if you want, is where I saw the... Uh, uh, where I saw the screen capture from an early episode of The Simpsons, and it was a date that seemed impossibly far in the future to the writers, I'm sure, when they, uh, when they did it. Um, it's the, uh, the marriage of Lisa Marie Simpson to uh, Hugh St. John Alistair Parkfield. Uh, the, um, oh, I forget what he is. Hey, uh, Lazy Web, lazy, lazy Internet, tell me what, uh, what that guy is. A wasp? <laughs> By the sound of that name, a wasp? I pronounced that right, right? Hugh St. John is Hugh Sinjin, isn't it? Uh, sure, I'm not going to dispute I, that. Go for it. Um, <laughs> right? So, some, of our, uh, some of our British listeners tell me. Uh, right. So, uh, in honor of this, a question for the panel, question of the week. Which of the Simpsons characters would you like to marry? And this, uh, we've, we've made a decision to... Um, exclude celebrity cameos so you can't marry Anne Hathaway or uh Aerosmith or Thomas Pynchon (laughs) (laughs) Uh, right um yeah let's do it uh Peter Fenzel by cell phone how are you Pete I'm doing okay a little bit under the weather so you get a little bit of a husky voice for me today Hello. Hey. Uh, Hello, America and the world. Phone. Get phone sex voice. I once worked on a. Uh, I once I once worked on a play with a stage manager who had phone sex voice on the clearcom. You know, uh, stagehands tend to communicate with one another over over headsets, many of which are many of which are wireless, uh, some of which are wired. Um, and uh, she had a uh, she had a phone sex voice. Um, like, what do you mean? What is like? <laughs> we could just get that fly up, uh, call the cues. Need to make sure that the uh, quick change is happening. Yeah, exactly. Like standby, <laughs> standby lights nineteen through twenty-five. <laughs> Light nineteen, go. go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I have an answer to your question. Okay. It's a little bit unorthodox. It's a little bit unorthodox. And I'm going to presume at first that we're going to assume that such time has passed that it is both legal and proper in the eyes of the law and of God and any other moral authority. But I'm going to, I'm going to put, put my money on Maggie. <laughs> I want to marry, I want to marry, think about it. She's real smart. She's very clever. You know, you know, she can put up with any sort of nonsense, the people around her without being too perturbed. This is more of an obvious. I won't get into the whole. <laughs> so I mean, what Maggie spends most of her time doing. 
Uh, we could always be a plus in any relationship, but I don't mean that's too crude and inappropriate. Well, this, yeah. <laughs> this, this uh, depends. I mean, would you do 2010 Maggie, who is, you know, in her mid to late 20s? Yeah, maybe. I think so. I mean, I feel like of the Simpson characters, Maggie is the the most, like, normal, right? She's just, a, like, a sort of mischievous baby. Right. Well, not even, like, a crazy point- baby. She's at a point where her her personality has not quite had a chance to be formed yet. So it's uh, you know, so she is she's sort of normal because she's she's sort of average, right? Yeah, you have to assume I mean, that twenty year after twenty more years of growing up with that family that uh, you know she may not come out exactly well adjusted, as they say. Oh, that's a really good point. That could be a big problem. <laughs> You're gonna grow up to look just like Homer. It's gonna be a big problem. <laughs> um, it's too late. Your answer's locked in. There's no take backs. Oh man. Curses! Enjoy, yeah, enjoy your life of wedded bliss. Uh, <laughs> uh, Markley, Simpsons character. All right, so similarly to Pete, if this is legal and proper, I would like to marry Montgomery Burns. This is a pretty much a no-brainer. This isn't very overthought, actually, because he's extremely rich, and he's very old, and so he's going to die pretty soon i mean you know granted he's lived for however many years that the simpsons has been on the air at an extremely decrepit state and has yet to uh, succumb to time but as we know the simpsons doesn't really quite have a linear notion of progression to time um, but assuming that such a thing did exist in the simpsons universe and marry monty burns give it a few years he kicks the bucket i take his wealth and i'm the proud owner of a nuclear power plant sweet so you're saying they live in springfield massachusetts yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> I was, there was probably an episode of The Simpsons recently where they legalized gay marriage, right? I mean, and in, in a typical Simpsons way, they sort of did it and then undid it and managed to not offend anybody in the episode and that sort of thing. <laughs> the, yeah, I don't know. So, There's got to be episodes where Burns gets married, like, right, to gold diggers. Does that happen? I don't watch The Simpsons all that often, so no, I'm not... not yeah, not, any, not, not anymore. I, uh... I, I used to watch it when it was good, uh, uh, you know, when it was good before. Uh, not the time it was good before, but the time before that when it was good. So, uh, <laughs> oh yes, I, remember, I too remember that time. Go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so after a fashion, this date is interminably in the future because while we have gone on, our experience as viewers of The Simpsons has not persisted until this point. So. For all intents and purposes, like the Simpsons universe has ceased to exist for us to to a degree. Mark, it ceased is, to advance. What is the date of uh, what is the date of um, uh, Skynet becoming self aware? Well, it depends August. on which version of the Terminator timeline you're talking about. No, uh, the commonly accepted date is August 29th, nineteen ninety seven, which is what the date that uh, Arnie Terminator tells Sarah Connor in Terminator Two: Judgment Day. Because that is kind of the most reliably. Uh, used one in uh in terminator 3 it becomes 2004 in uh terminator i guess terminator salvation terminator craptation uh follows that same timeline so this will be 2004 but terminator sarah connor chronicles uh, puts that date somewhere a little bit later in 2004 as well does that answer your question matt yes absolutely (laughs) that being said yeah so uh uh, the, the judgment day was put in the date you know when terminator 2 aired it seemed like far enough in the future that they could just say that was the date um, I, I think that date actually probably uh, stuck from the from the eighties, from Terminator One. Uh, but anyway, it seemed far right. enough out there so that oh, you know, that's you know far enough in the future of the audience's imagination where it's it's plausible that something terrible could happen uh, that far down that hum- that computers could become uh, self aware with in that time between 
uh, that date and then 1997. Well, I wish you'd come back to this, but I want to hear Matt's answer. Uh, my, my answer to the Simpsons thing is uh, any of the parade of celebrity cameo uh, older babysitters with whom uh, Bart, <laughs> Bart falls in love. Any of uh, any Melissa of Bart's... Gilbert's one of them, right? Sorry, is Melissa Gilbert one of them? Yes, she was one. Um, yeah, uh, I think Reese Witherspoon was one, or maybe she was a different. Oh, wow. maybe she was a different love interest. But there have been a couple. Uh, yes, absolutely. I th- I think it was. I think Melissa Gilbert was the one who um, uh, who got it on with Jimbo in the living room. Uh, while Bart, like, watched from the top of the stairs. And, and Jimbo, uh, you know, they were making out on the couch, and Jimbo said, huh, now my shirt's chafing me. And then they made out a little more, and yeah. he said, you wouldn't believe it, but now my pants are chafing me. And <laughs> that's how he got, uh, that's how Bart got his heart broken, as, as he always did, by the, um, by the babysitters. But I want to marry the babysitters, because you know they put out. Moving right along. <laughs> Um, future well, dates, future dates in history. Well, I wanted to, one of my favorites, there's a couple of my favorite ones. The, one of my favorite, of course, is, uh, from Kevin Costner's The Postman, which is a movie that I will continue <laughs> oh, talking about dear. until everyone on earth has forgotten about it. Um, so The Postman, for those of you who don't know, is, this, it was a three and a half hour long movie well before Lord of the Rings made that at all acceptable. Um, and it certainly did not deserve to be three and a half hours long. It was not as much of a financial failure as Waterworld because it did not cost as much. But it was part of that sort of like Kevin Cosner is blowing the epic, like he's blowing the subwoofer of his epicness, like inside out and, and, bla- and destroying his sound system of storytelling. Uh, but The Postman is a story of how in a post-apocalyptic future where the United States of America has been forgotten and uh, the, the West is ruled by like roving gangs of brigands and, and human beings huddle together in like crudely... Uh, crudely put together villages. Only uh, one Kevin man finds can deliver the mail. Exactly. He finds an old uniform of a postal worker, and it's supposed to be about how the postal service is very important to uh, to like the the, cogent, the coherence of the United States and the sort of social capital that ties everything together. Which I think is is true. I mean, the post office, the postmaster general used to be a pa- uh, cabinet position, and the post office has been very important in the history of the developed United States. At the time that the postman was made, though, like it wasn't, <laughs> and the postman seems very absurd. The most absurd part about it, though, is like this time period wherein like all of America has been laid waste to the point where like it's laid fallow for a while, and everybody's forgotten it ever existed. Like the movie was made in the '90s, and the date is 2019. So it's like in less than 20 years, like we all forget. Uh, well, I think it's a little, it's probably a little more than 20 years. But in 20, more than 20 years, it's like someone will hold up an American flag and they'll be like, I've never seen it before. Like that's a forbidden ancient symbol or something like that. Um, so that's kind of, I always thought that was a funny one. Um, and one of my favorites also was, uh, what? Uh, it's funny because the post office is now hemorrhaging money, right? Because they can't. Well, yeah, but it's supposed to. What? It's sort of impossible to. Uh sort of impossible to run the post office because they have all these these things mandated by Congress, um, right? Like they can't close branches, for example. You can't close underperforming branches. And so, right. uh, yeah. I thought they were supposed well, to I mean, break I even. remember the, the post office, what? I thought they were supposed to break even with, with postage. Well, I mean, what happened back in the, I mean, I think I, I still actually remember when, 
the post office became a self-sustaining operation. Um, it was within our lifetimes. Like, I mean, if you think about it, you know, most government agencies are not self-sustaining. That's why they're funded by taxpayer money because they present, uh, like, the good that they generate for the economy is uh, distributed through different sources in different uh, areas, right? So uh, the post office, I think, during our lifetimes became, like, if not pro- profit is probably not the right word, but certainly, like, a a, rev- a revenue-neutral, at the very least, uh, proposition. And now it isn't anymore. And, and people are like, oh, no, like, this is awful. But it's the way sort of it was for a long time. You just have to subsidize the post office. That's why you use tax dollars for it. Right. But, um, I mean, it's also, it's also see, man, I'm, I'm talking like a 17-year-old boy today. Oh, hi, Mr. Gilbert. Let's get all of my sugar straight from me. I mean, the post, the mail has gotten useless, Right, like for regular people. Exactly. Right? Yeah, because the, the mail is the, the social yeah. good that that the post office performs is now no longer really all that necessary in this age of you know I don't know FedEx and uh, and what have you. Well, I would say that even beyond that, the mail is so choked by marketing materials and advertisements that people just don't want to use it. And I think that that's also the same thing with landline telephones. And one of the big things that's pushing people away from landline telephones. I mean, yeah, they like cell phones, but also they hate telemarketers. Right, people hate the telemarketers and they hate the, uh, the the junk mail that you get. I mean, I get at least six pieces of junk mail for every piece of mail that I get that's at all related to me, and more than half the mail that I get that is related to me it is fills. you know is something formal that I don't really enjoy. Right, like a like a like a uh, healthcare tax form from uh, like a claim I made on a prescription or something, or like, or and bills. that's like the important stuff. Or or the restraining yeah. order. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I read a really interesting book on management once where they talked about how, um, and this is like, it was an article from the 50s that I run like the Harvard Business Review, I think, where they talked about how people focus on companies and their profit loss margins and being more effective at producing at what they produce and being more efficient, uh, but they forget that if they don't provide their customers with a service or a good that they actually want, then you can get as efficient as you want and nobody's going to care. So I think we're at kind of a tipping point where the post at the post office, where not only do people like email better, but the mail has become useless, like even for what you would want it to be. Like if you actually sent me a letter, it would be very hard. It would be very unlikely I would actually find it in a timely manner because it would be buried underneath a whole bunch of advertisements for like laptop PCs and stuff that I get through circulars and things like that. I, mean, I don't know. Do you guys find that? I feel like this means that if we wanted to live in a, in a future where the postman would reunite the, the towns against the evil bearded other middle-aged guy that they have a fist fight with. Um, he would want to make sure that we don't go right back to say like subsidizing it heavily through like mass marketing. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Is that really how the world ends? Not with a bang, but with a, with a coupon. <laughs> <laughs> no, not with a bang, but with a best buy circular. Yeah. 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 I like getting that best buy circular in the mail. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I will be the one in the post apocalyptic future. Where I will, uh, where you know, I, I will see the postman riding on his horse, and it will harken me back to that Best Buy circular, and I will, uh, I will be drawn to him as a figure for salvation. I tell you, when I was on the East Coast, I liked getting the Best Buy circular in the Sunday New York Times. That was a, you know, so I would take it to the little cafe by my uh, by my apartment. If they, if if someone didn't steal my paper, someone usually it was a big apartment building that I lived in uh, when I lived on the East Coast for a little while, and so someone would often steal my paper. 
uh, I, one of my neighbors, though though I hesitate to, to call them that because it's not a very neighborly thing to do at all. And I would go have a, uh, you know, have a bear claw and a cup of coffee and I would open the paper right to the Best Buy circular and leaf through the... Uh, flat screen televisions and the um you know packages of uh DVDRs for you know 29.99 and all would be all would be right with the all would be right with the world and then I then I'd read the paper and you know so, so when you ate the bear's claw you get his power Oh <laughs> <laughs> I saw that on an episode of of, uh, of Mad Men because my girlfriend is watching Mad Men uh, from the beginning. Um, I'm uh, sitting in on on several episodes, and Don asked for a cup of coffee and a bear claw, and I think that's an inaccuracy because I think a bear claw, meaning a, a uh, you know a sweet roll with marzipan inside, um, uh, and you know the one edge one edge uh, sort of scored before you bake it so that the the um, one side puffs out in kind of five segments like bear's claws, like a claw. Uh, I think that was a West Coastism, or do or do you guys on the East Coast know what those are too? I mean, I've always been less familiar with bear claws than I have been with crullers and other sorts of of uh, pastries. So yeah, I, I don't a, think I think it's a West Coast thing, and so I think Don asking for one on an episode of Mad Men is a um, is a, a uh, uh, inaccuracy. Uh, I don't know. I should, yeah, there's, there's where probably... I come from, where I come from, when he asks for a bear claw, you're actually asking for a bear's claw that you killed through, you know, hunting uh, on your own. Because you're from Alabama, yeah, where exactly. they shoot bears. A lot of bears down there yeah. in Alabama. Uh, yes, all sorts of creatures. <laughs> they're actually they're actually overpopulated. So I was talking, it's it's merciful. I was that, talking today with some friends, and we were talking about how we were talking about Narnia. And I was thinking we should make a ripoff Narnia where Jesus is a bear, and I feel like that would be pretty awesome. Just like you know, like do it again, like do a whole thing all over again. Just use another a different whole different fantasy movie. You make small changes, do a low budget for YouTube, make it pretty cruddy. And but uh, <laughs> but I feel like maybe even a kangaroo or some other animal rather than a lion. What? And he, uh, and he, what he he bounds up from the grave. He, he I mean, he like. I don't know. He rolls the stone away himself with his awesome bear power. <laughs> so it's like everyone gets together for a picnic, and then he like he has a jar of honey, and he makes like a lot of honey, and everybody has the honey on the bear. Uh, uh, you have been a uh, you have been a a what a keeper of bees, and now you'll become a keeper of men. Um, <laughs> So one of my favorite uh, apocalypse dates, I think, was like what is it, October? Gosh, was it October fourth, nineteen ninety-seven. Somebody can check this for me. But it was definitely another one in nineteen ninety-seven, which was a big end of the world year for people. Like a lot of things projected the end of the world in nineteen ninety-seven. Not like like fictional properties. I think the seven was an attractive number, and it didn't turn out to be end of world, of course. But the date of the release of Titanic, right? Um, so huh. so something very different. But this was. Do you ever want to play the old school NES game Crystallis? Um, that was like a really bizarre apocalyptic vision where like the world is populated by mutants and like there's this, but by 1997, there's like ridiculously advanced technology, like floating sky fortresses with omniscient computers that go haywire and like all this other nonsense. And this is a game for the eighties. So it's like in 10 years, like civilization will be incredibly corrupt and decadent and based on superhuman abilities and, and then it'll all collapse and the game always starts with saying, like, what is it, October something, 1997, the end day. And there's a little bit of music that goes like, doo, 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 doo. and then if you watch it, it shows the world, like, blowing up. 
that you then come from. And you think you've been frozen and you wake up in like the future. Uh, so it's like, that's a ridiculous amount of advancement that needs to take place between like 1985 and like 19, not 1985, but like 1989 and like 1997 in order for the cryogenic, like biologically enhanced warrior to like, be prepared to take on a, a distant future. So I guess between the seven, I mean, the, between the seventies and the eighties, the pace of change had had been accelerating. And I guess if you assume that the pace of change is going to continue accelerating at its current rate, right? You you um, you know that is to say, if the if the like the first derivative right uh, remains constant, yeah. uh, then um, you know. Uh, uh, there is a chance that a sort of a fifth element like future is possible in a short amount of time. Well, here's a good example I mean, this, of this is uh, go, going back to Star Trek, which you know, the, obviously one of our touchstone examples of science fiction and what the future is going to predicting what the future is going to be like. Um, uh, now, Trekkies out there, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, you know, when, the, when this series originally debuted in the 60s. Um, and as the movie started to, to come out in the in the seventies and eighties, the timeline that it started to construct that Star Trek constructed for itself for the future was that there were like a massive nuclear war sometime, if not the end of the twentieth century, at the beginning of the twenty first century, and that uh, humans would invent interstellar travel. Uh, I believe late in the twenty first century, and the reasoning behind this, if you can imagine, if you're in the sixties, it's like, well, you know, we went from airplanes to going to the moon over the course of fifty years. Uh, you know, warp drive can't be that far off. Right. I forget the date of, of first contact. I mean, it, this is, you know, I know this mostly from Star Trek uh, first contact, uh, which may have been reconned in, you know, uh, later. The the story may have been kind of uh, altered, but right. Yeah. Big planetary war, hundreds of millions, I think six or seven hundred million dead, which uh, Jonathan Frakes as Riker says, uh you know, with with great gusto in the um, in the thing when they get to uh, when they get when they tr- follow the Borg sphere back through time and get to 21st century Earth, uh, uh, and they they judge by the pollution levels in the atmosphere. You know that uh, that it's the oh, uh, oh, the, the mid. Oh, get this! Forget forget 21st century. Uh, late 20th century uh, con was uh was sort of around uh, his year was like you know in the late 90s he was the he was sort of the su- genetic superman ruler of half of the earth at the time so back in the 60s you know when, when Khan originally appeared on the original series um you know that's what they were looking at you know 40 years down the road so so Khan was justin bieber is what you're saying <laughs> Just, you're sitting there, I am trending everywhere. Uh, <laughs> Beaver! Uh, be- Beaver! 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 <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, our our listeners are. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you approve. <laughs> I'm glad that you think the thing is enjoyable. Our, our, can, I, can I also say that I hate I hate the idea that like, well, if we assume that this rate will continue the way that it is, like, if we assume the first derivative of this thing is going to stay the same, like. It sort of, I always find that kind of amusing. Like, there's almost never any reason to believe that the first derivative of anything is going to stay the same. No, if anything, I, mean, I, guess, I mean, maybe if anything, it's going yeah. to to increase, right? To what? Uh, if anything, it's going to increase, right? Well, I mean, it totally depends on what you're talking about. Like, if I throw a baseball, the first derivative of the baseball's position is going to decrease because of wind resistance, right? So like it, it's like oh the baseball's going this fast now like if it keeps going this fast 
But then it's like, well, you know, you have to measure the acceleration and the drag and all this other stuff. Like, eventually the baseball will stop moving. Well, I mean, from, from our vantage point and the level of precision that we care about, the baseball will stop moving. So, like, the, the first derivative of the baseball is, is going to you know, decrease. If you're talking about, like, what, like, like Bieber fever, like, the first derivative of that is going to increase because it sweeps the universe. Because uh, it's like an unstoppable uh, juggernaut. It's just this expansive force like that's motivated by some sort of mathematical error in the cosmological uh, constants, right? The cos- uh, that, that factor that Einstein wasn't able to, to explain that expands the, uh, the expansive uh, momentum of the universe. I mean that that if we're talking about Bieber fever, then then we're going to have an increasing first derivative. But I mean, it doesn't matter. That is to say, Bieber Bieber fever will increase until Bieber fever will increase until we all suffer Bieber fever heat death. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's not like the Bieber Justin Bieber's hotness will eventually die, and that will be the end of the universe. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, no, um, I'm saying that right. I'm saying that the that the temperature of all these things, that the entropy will will tend to increase. That the you know the the energy will will uh, gradually become more evenly distributed. I had a, I had a high school math teacher who was a comedian. Uh, I actually had a couple of high school math teachers who were kind of a, a comedian. Um, so here's a bit of math trivia that I'm sure I'm going to bungle. So I'm going to get a lot of well actually emails at podcast at overthinkingit dot com, and that's fine. But uh, when you're speaking of of position with uh, respect to time the first derivative is uh, speed the second derivative is acceleration right yeah. um do you know what the third derivative is that is to say change in acceleration uh with respect to time anti-time pete is right it's called jerk and so we were yeah. I mean, <laughs> right jerk <laughs> <laughs> we were we were talking about this in in uh, high school calculus or high school physics or something like this and you know we talked about like uh why, why is it called that and like well when you're on a roller coaster you know you you get jerked around and it's like <laughs> and then someone brought up the thing like well is, is there such a thing as constant jerk and the, the teacher was like sure there is look around this classroom <laughs> hey well, you know, if it, if it weren't, if it isn't, a, if it isn't a function, as long as you're not dealing in a fu- in like a function in uh, in the Cartesian uh, coordinates, then it's possible to have a circle jerk. But uh, <laughs> it's not possible <laughs> if it's a function. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Pete. But if you rotate around an axis, um, <laughs> and, yeah. Or um, if you're graphing, uh, yeah. If you're using like uh, what is it, polar coordinates? I guess, right? Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's right, it, right, is, right. it is possible <laughs> to have circled jerk. <laughs> hey, can we go as, back to talk about as, future dates now? As we are, as we are the, demonstrating, yeah, as we are demonstrating capably with this podcast, the circle jerk <laughs> is, is not at all theoretical. Uh, right, yeah, of course, more of course. more future dates. I love. I mean, every apocalyptic future requires. Uh, a date where the where the poop hits the fan, right? Well, not yeah. just when the poop hits now, the fan. This is like an amplification of our own dread of like minor dates that are coming up, like uh, like because it, it seems it seems to me like the apocalypse is treated more like a really 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 bad dentist appointment. Like I know when it's going to happen, and it's just it, like the magnitude of the distance between myself and the date is greater, and like the magnitude of the event is greater. But it's not like like say if I were thinking about marriage like Lisa Simpson getting married, which started this whole thing. Um, like, I don't think of marriage as like, it's going to happen on a day, you know, like, like there's going to be one day where all of a sudden this, this thing is going to like happen and I'm going to have to deal with it. 
like, you know, things that are really massive tend to happen system- systematically over time. Like, the actual apocalypse will probably take a while. Like, it's not the kind of thing. It's probably going on right now, right? But whatever. The world's always going through processes of creative destruction. But, um, but yeah, like, like, we treat these apocalyptic dates, uh, I think that it's us using them as a frame of reference for things that we personally dread that are more definable and, and, and or not definable, but definite, more precise, right? But there has to be, you have to have a date for an apocalypse or else what are you doing with yourself? I mean, that's just silly. Um, I mean, what, what, let's see, what's, what's some other, what's some other good ones? Well, I, would, I mean, the Terminator one, they did a whole bunch of them. What? Nothing. Sorry. Uh, Terminator has one. I mean, yeah, a, a lot of things. I was thinking about this this uh, today, actually. I, w- I was having an email conversation with a... Uh, uh, I was having an email conversation with a an internet celebrity who may uh, become a guest on, on the podcast, whose name I'm not going to say uh, on the air yet because it's not, uh, it's not set. And we were talking about... Does uh, it rhyme with Snalky Smart Takamoose? <laughs> Uh, no, no. Does it rhyme with sleeve Flurkle? Ooh, Justin Bieber, Justin Bieber, Justin Bieber, Justin Bieber, Justin Bieber, Bieber Fever. I'm gonna sing Bieber Fever to the tune of Jungle Fever. Like I've got Bieber Fever, you've got Bieber, he's got Bieber Fever. Bieber Fever? that's something entirely different. Let's not go there. Continue. Sorry. And and we were talking about the um the rise of uh the portrayal of hacker. Or like techie um, characters on uh, on shows um, on television shows, right? And 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 how uh, how this person as an actual techie feels about um, uh, about that, and and we're 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 hoping to have him on to uh, to actually talk about this. But the, but you know, I imagine that a lot of people, like doctors, lawyers, and things like this, have. Um, uh, have issues with the way their por- professions are are portrayed, and I think that the fact that like uh, sort of all knowing, omniscient, you know, computer hacker geniuses like uh, Garcia on Criminal Minds, or um, oh, uh, uh, you know, I don't that know, that chick any- on Twenty Four, yeah, exactly, like that that these people are kind of working for for shadowy government agencies the, these things are like uh, an amplification of our our uh our fears um you know and if you believe freud that that fears are actually sort of wishes in in a certain kind of disguise uh our sort of wish that there is a kind of ben- uh, there is a kind of person out there monitoring us hopefully for benevolent purposes to like protect us as uh, the ctu does or as the uh the good people of the behavioral analysis unit on criminal minds do right like that there are these uh there are these omniscient um kind of com- computer people i mean i think you know i think that one way to look at um to look at entertainment is to to look at it as a representational space for our fears, and I think you can say a lot for um, the style of apocalypse, uh, right? The style of hypothetical future apocalypse that that these movies have, from Doctor Strangelove to you know Terminator Two, uh, and on and on. I mean, those are two, the last two examples you mentioned. There are of course nuclear related, and a Terminator Two less so. Well, actually, yeah. Because the original, remember, the original Terminator was in 1984. So it's, uh, Doctor Strangelove and Terminator are reflections of a fear of a nuclear apocalypse coming from the Cold War, right? And now that right. more or less that fear has subsided, 
are we seeing something else coming in to take its place? There, like, what, there, does, what does 2012 have? What is that saying about our fears about our future? Well, I, I, I actually think it says a lot. But let, let me address the, the point that you brought up already. The, uh, they're different in kind, right? The, the apocalypse in Doctor Strangelove happens because of human error or because of uh, an error in the systems that we have in place. And um, there was a movie called, what was it called? Failsafe, I think. Uh, that was actually yeah. remade as a live TV movie with Harvey Keitel, where uh, much yeah. the same thing happens, but it's played deadly serious instead of being played for laughs as it is on on Doctor Strangelove. And for that reason, it's 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 the lesser movie, I, you know, I think, because it doesn't have that. I, I don't know. It doesn't have that distancing perspective that, you know, can help a work of art. But anyway, um, the the. Um, uh, so it is like it's a failure of the system and it's a human failure. Terminator 2 is like uh, – or sorry, even the first Terminator, it's like it's a side effect of this arms race, you know? Um, th- sort th- of. I mean, that's one way to look at it. I would look at it more that for both Strangelove and Terminator that it's a product of over-militarization and the sort of uh, insane power that we have put uh, – that we have unleashed – upon that the humans through their own actions and through their own militants have unleashed upon the world okay but, but i think but still the the one in terminator 2 i mean the one in strange love is is kind of like it's a mistake you know what i mean and you can like trace the you can trace the origins of the of the the mistake the one in in terminator 2 is this kind of like um you know, it's it's this kind of a, uh, anti-technology bent that goes back to the Book of Job, right? When God rails a Job out of the <laughs> out of the whirlwind. You know, did you lay the foundations of the earth? Like, did you, you know, I don't know, create Leviathan in the seas? And he, he goes on and on and on for for most of a chapter uh, about. Did you this. invent the hippopotamus? I invented the hippopotamus, and he's awesome. <laughs> right. The the idea being. Part. The idea being uh, there are proper limits to human knowledge, and, and um, I'd say the Terminator 2, uh, that that myth has, has uh, you know, undergirding it, the, the idea that we have, we have sort of violated, we have transgressed the proper limits of human knowledge, and, uh, and, and that, that that is happening. But Pete, Pete wants to break in here. Oh, I mean, I was going to say that I do think that you're making a useful distinction between these two kinds of things, because in, in your, it's the difference between sort of intended, I mean, intended is too strong of a word, but sort of, you know, uh, instrumental and, and sort of ancillary uh, uh, causality, right? Like, in, in the Terminator apocalypse is not caused by things that people do for the purpose of bringing about the Terminator apocalypse, right? And even, even to a greater extent of purposeness, the focus and the orientation, like the space with it that they are related to, is it's a different kind of space, and it's sort of an, it's a sideways thing that happens. Whereas in Doctor Strangelove, they're very much concerned with whether or not like they are going to nuke the world, right? Like that's sort of what it's about. And I mean, I, I think that you can look at it. I think the the sort of not luddite because that's that's sort of a different aspect of it, but the anti technological, anti knowledge bent, which is I mean, really core in. in a lot of, of religious literature and, and all sorts of culture is one way to look at it. You can also just look at it as um, just people's fear of change in general and people's sort of expectation that change comes with loss. But at the same time, the sort of uh, excitement associated with change. And, and maybe this is also related to ideas of progress and the sort of, I mean, the current, as I see it, the sort of current cultural, and of course I'm speaking of cultural 
uh, paradigms with which I'm familiar, and, and this is a subset of greater human experience, but like current cultural ideas of, of progress are kind of twisted, bastard offspring of the broader, more optimistic late 19th century notion of progress as they invalidated by World War I, right? This idea that, that civilization is sort of marching its way towards crowning achievements, and we are, we are achieving, we're mastering the forces of nature, and we've mastered each other and ourselves, and, and we're capable of, of really fulfilling our, our, our great potential. And the world wars come along, and they're like, oh, no, like, that's not going to happen because people hate each other um, and, and make horrible mistakes. And the science fiction comes out and says, like, no, like, technology will be able to make this happen. But we have this, this tension in our notions of progress, that progress brings, you know, horrible things versus wonderful things. And this, of course, does tie back into the expectation of people getting married in the future, which I think is also very similar to the idea of Skynet, because it's like, <laughs> it is, it is very similar, because on one hand, you, there's this fear that you're going to lose control, and like, and like your world is going to be destroyed. Uh, but on the other hand, there's this notion that it's this, it, that there's an inexorable process, there's like a progress that happens, and this is the fulfillment of that progress, and the progress itself isn't wrong. See, like, building the technology that leads to Skynet does a lot of good things for people. Like, we want to have refrigerators, and, like, we want to have, like, like uh, those uh, little uh, those little tops that you can spin, not like an Inception, but, like, uh, the tops you spin that have magnets under them, a sharper image that gets to go, and, like, we want to have, like, you know, the Tiger uh, football games that you use with AA batteries for. And like, these are all good we things. We want to have uh, robot motorcycles with USB ports. Definitely. I would, I would love to have one of those, but I would wear a helmet, which, uh, which Christian Bale does not do, I believe, <laughs> in, in when he rides his motorcycle. But, like, like, there's a tension because we don't really want to not have the progress. But at the same time, like, our, we understand that progress is kind of a, an essentially flawed idea because it leads to destruction. Um, it's like well, it's yeah, not as it, it normal. Leads, yeah, it leads to it leads to loss, right? Um, yeah, and there are two time kinds and change leads to loss. Yeah, there there are two kinds of loss, and that and that's um, oh, I want to tie so many things together here. I, I mean, there are two kinds of loss. There is the uh, there's the kind of normal sad loss of sort of growing up and of a culture growing up, but then there's also traumatic loss, as in sort of wars or uh, you know, kind of the violent. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, violent things that that have sometimes gone along with progress. You said World War One. I. I would say that that September 11th was a was another another one, right? Like, it, you know, it seemed like yeah. it was going to be a time of limitless po- prosperity. Technology promised that you know um, that it was a world full of wonderful things and some not so wonderful that we can remedy if we but try. And uh, you know, all these things. I, I actually remember reading uh, a David Brooks article in the Atlantic called "The Organization Kid." Uh, that was about um, it was about the uh, well our generation really or or the the kids in college just behind us I guess who were sort of coming up with the idea that like uh, that you know there was nothing to the world but achievement nothing possible in the world but achievement and that you know they like the kind of golden age uh, their sort of golden age counterparts a hundred years ago would face some some sort of cataclysmic event uh, like uh, World War One was to the Edwardians and. Um, you know, lo, lo and behold, it came. Uh, I'm not, now, I'm not blaming David Brooks for the attack of September 11, but... Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, he would, I didn't, I've never seen him and Osama Bin Laden in the same place. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Uh, but the, I mean, I, the other if kind, I can, the other yeah, kind uh, of... Uh, when you're done. Sorry. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm really never going to be done. Why don't you break in now? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I was just saying that, like, it's interesting when you're saying that there's a loss associated with growing up, right? And that's distinct from the loss that's traumatic. And I would add uh, to that, like, we got to consider as uh, as human animals, right? Like, a lot of our cognitive processes are built around this this trial and error way of living where we go out into a new area, we're like hunters, right, and gatherers, and, and we go out in a new area and we eat everything until we find out what's poisonous or not, and we learn what the poisonous things are because we have strong emotional reactions to them, and we have good emotional reactions to the good things, and it's about, and a lot of our cognitive capabilities are about learning new terrains and, like, learning new places to live and, like, learning ways of dealing with new kinds of, of predators and, and prey and these other sorts of things. And, so, and our brain is kind of oriented around creating safe spaces for ourselves or finding them by, by like, seeking out the things that hurt us and getting rid of them and, and finding the things that are good for us and pr- promoting them and, and helping them flourish and helping them be good. And that's the kind of, like, basic impulse that leads to things like domestication and agriculture. And so I think we have an essential cognitive and, and personal relationship with familiarity that's very strong. Like, when we've created something that's familiar to us and that feels safe and, and it feels like it's been like, you know, made suitable for human habitation, either whether it's a routine or a process or an individual, you know, a relationship, any of these things, any change to it can seem like a loss because of the way that our psychology works around, uh, around danger and around risk. So even if you don't actually lose anything, it just becomes different. A loss in a sense of familiarity feels like a loss. Because we are, it is worse for our evolution. Like, it's worse for the, our offspring if, if, like, stuff starts changing, if we thought everything was okay. Right. right. Like, that sense of alarm is telling us we need to go do something and, like, find another hunting ground or something like that. Um, and then a lot of our... And, and so, like, the, yeah. A lot of our culture yeah. is, is kind of driven also by the need to look back at those losses and at those changes. And, and sometimes they're not, they're not uh, enforced losses. Sometimes they're decisions that, that, you know what I mean, that lead to a loss. Um, and yeah. uh, to look back at those things and to kind of make sense of them, to, to kind of fit, to, to sort of retcon the story of our own lives, right? Um, which is something that, that uh, Robert Frost talks about in The Road Not Taken, right? When he says, I shall be telling with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, uh, and that made all the difference. Though in the poem... Yeah, Robert Frost also said, I hate when they keep retconning Star Trek. <laughs> that was in another poem, lesser known. Look, there's a path to take and a path not taken, and the choice is up to you, my friend. An open road and a road that's hidden to a brand new life around the bend. Now, there are times that I lost a dream or two, but I found a trail, and at the end was you. Angela, you guys have no idea what I'm talking about. No, what was that poem? <laughs> oh, that poem was actually by uh, D.H. Who's the Boss theme song. Um, <laughs> that was actually... <laughs> no, I had a, I had a friend in, uh, in high school, actually this was in middle school, who actually read that at a coffee house because we had an assignment to like, <laughs> write a poem about life as a road. And he just like read the lyrics to the theme song to Who's the Boss. <laughs> and the teacher stopped it halfway through. Like, I've seen who's the boss. But he's awesome. If he's out there, if Joe is out there, you're awesome. And I still tell that story. That is but, a um, uh, that that is a fantastic <laughs> student. A plus for that for that student. Yes, exactly. But the, but the idea yeah. in, in the road not taken is that the roads are the same, right? Like everything is like you know the passing there had warned them really about the same, and both that morning equally lay and leaves no step at trodden black. But that 
in the end, you have to make up a story about, you know, about the choices uh, that you've made and the losses that you've endured. Um, and, and you sort of, you, you make up a story that suits you. You know, I, I'll, ta- I'll say I took the road le- less, less taken and that has made all the difference. When in fact, you really don't know what the hell made, made all the difference. Um, can we talk about 2012 for a second? Please. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I think that this, this, um, I, you see, like, uh, the, um, the uh, uh, the uh, nu- nuclear apocalypse. I thought you said you wanted to talk about 2012 and not like stutter incomprehensibly into your microphone. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, yeah, I get hate <laughs> mail for that too. Um, uh, Nothing but love for you, baby. Nothing but love for you. <laughs> the nuclear apocalypse of Doctor Strangelove, and uh, and in a slightly different way, the sort of uh, inexorable march toward Judgment Day um, are both specific things with uh, specific causes, right? Uh, 2012 happens almost by surprise. You know, we just sort of wake up one morning and suddenly it's there. And, I, you know, I think that's about, I think that's a movie that uh, is made by an America that's experienced September 11th, which, you know, as it was happening, was incomprehensible to a lot of people because it just didn't have... Uh, you know, now now we understand about you know a lot of trends that were kind of happening, but um, in in an, in a globalized world that is increasingly complex, there can be these these extremely traumatic sort of violent um, events that happen uh, that cause great great suffering uh, that seem incomprehensible at the time. You know, and I I think that this is the anxiety that that gives rise to a movie about uh, a movie like 2012. Right, right, right. Now, in twenty, I haven't seen the movie twenty twelve. But do they make a big deal about the Mayan calendar? Is that like a big factor in uh, in like the the explanation of what is going on? Like, uh, oh, I've looked at the Mayan calendar. I you guys are all crazy. Either I haven't seen it either. I'm going. <laughs> I'm going oh, by we're, we're, we're I, the curtain back here on overthinking it. Yeah, I'm going, I'm going by the trailer here. You know what I mean? I read the cliff notes. Oh, uh, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, my understanding is that twenty twelve it happens because neutrinos start interacting with matter at, like, a much greater degree than they did under normal circumstances, right? Because most of the time, neutrinos... What's the story? Like, 10 billion neutrinos walk into a bar and one orders a beer? You know, like, that's... Because uh, they, they don't interact with matter, typically. They just pass through it. And in order to even detect them, you have to, like, have enormous, enormous, incredibly sensitive uh, detection equipment. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's not, probably not true entirely, because I'm not a huge neutrino scientist, but... Um, they are definitely you're only a, you're only they a, were also you're only hey, a Commodores, they wrote classic cars in the Ninja Turtles. What? You're only a, a medium sized neutrino uh, scientist. Yeah, but I'm a, I'm a I'm a grande. I'm not I'm a tall tall neutrino. <laughs> you're a very fit oh, neutrino. Scientist. Pete, you're a blogger on the internet, that means you're qualified to talk about anything you want to. Oh, excellent. Taxidermy. So <laughs> Uh, I was thinking that I was going to stuff a chicken inside of a turkey, inside of a duck, uh, which is a different order than t- than turduckins, but then I was going to mount it on my wall uh, rather than serve it. See, I can't talk about everything. That just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I'm like, trying to push the boundaries of human experience. Oh, man. But, okay, so so here's another phenomenon associated with uh, one of my favorite uh, apocalypse dating schemes is the one that they use in something I've talked about a lot, which is Mega Man. And this is Mega Man uses this, and other places use it too. Where it'll be like twenty in twenty XX. Oh right? really? I haven't it's seen like, it before. It really literally says yeah, it's XX. Like, yeah, it's like twenty XX, and that's, they're not the only one who say this. 
Uh, but it's like, we're not willing to identify a specific year, but we want to like give the impression that it's a specific year closely enough that you will like, like make up the year for yourself. Like it sort of provides, that's what, uh, uh, you know, like understanding comics would call closure, right? This idea that, that the, the brain will fill in the lost information automatically. So whatever mm-hmm. year in the, uh, in the, in 20 XX seems feasible to you, uh, will be the year in which like the Mega Man apocalypse happens because the Mega Man apocalypse is sort of too absurd to happen at any individual time. Um, or maybe it's just that they don't want to pin it down because they don't want to risk being wrong because they understand that these sort of apocalypse datings are more reflective of our comprehension of short-term time than our comprehension of long-term time, which is fairly limited. Um, I do remember reading a piece once that was very pessimistic about people's ability to improve the basic lot of humanity past a certain point, um, and especially with regards to the environment, because people can't comprehend, like, Darwinian timescales, right? Like, they can't comprehend, like, scales of time in which biology actually changes, Across, I'm not actually, because actually that's like a weak word in that situation. But like through which like the mechanisms of evolution change humanity. Even conceiving of a thousand years in a meaningful way is very difficult for a human being to do. Uh, I mean, you can look at it backwards and you can narrativize the history, but like forget a thousand forward years. About all the that forget a thousand years, what? a thousand days here. I mean, like people, you know, spend their credit card today like there's no tomorrow. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Well, forty days and forty nights, like with Josh Hartnett when he can't kiss those girls. Um, that is, do, you remember, do you remember the uh, the ending to that movie? That movie has a dark ending. He ties himself to... No, the- I haven't not seen the movie. It's the best movie about Lent that I know of, other than like The Last Temptation of Christ. But, <laughs> um. <laughs> so Josh Hartnett is about to make it. I forget who the actress is who plays the evil the evil ex-girl. Oh, I remember this. Yeah, He's about to make it. He, you know, And to make it through the last night, he ties himself to the bed so that he can't uh, self... Uh, uh, you know, he can't, uh, through his own agency, break his, his Lenten promise. But his evil ex-girlfriend, like, climbs on top of him and, like, finds him there and climbs on top of him while he's tied up and powerless to stop her. And, uh, you know... Rapes him? Con- well, yes, absolutely. I guess I guess there is no other word for Wait, it A spade that. is a spade, yeah. She, yeah. she rapes him. She, she has uh, sex with him without his consent. And... Uh, you know, and and so he fails at at uh, keeping his promise. That's awful. I have never seen this movie. This is ridiculous. Uh, I mean, do they treat it like that? Do they treat it like he's being assaulted, or is it like, oh well, that happened? Ho ho ho! No, it's or not. just like cut to black. It's <laughs> just like credits. <laughs> Deal with it. Pete, it is as brutal and horrifying as the rape scene in Showgirls. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's really not. Nothing is as brutal and horrifying as the rape scene in Showgirls. Awful. I mean, rape is not funny, and I've talked about this before on the podcast. I've talked about it before on the podcast, and this is, you know, this is actually a good example. Like, just as a having a specific date in mind for when the future of Hot will take place is not really fitting for the magnitude of the event that we're talking about. It's just us taking something that's more similar, uh, that's like more immediate and similar and, and and making it larger, like hold, assuming that first derivative is going to stay the same, right? Just like magnifying both ends of it and assuming that the regression is going to work. Like if it's farther in the future and it's a bigger deal, then, then a dentist appointment becomes the apocalypse. Then like people treat like, you know, rape in television and in movies like, you know, a, a really heightened example of like really bad sex, right? When this is in fact something that's entirely different. One of the ones that I heard that's actually apropos for this week um, that what people were talking about a lot recently, I think there was something on TV about it, 
uh, maybe an article that circulated was drowning, right? Like there's this idea that when people are drowning, they like thrash around and they get really extremely distressed uh, in much the same way that like if you uh, can't swim and you go in the water, you'll thrash around and you'll be distressed. Uh, but in fact, like when you're drowning, there's specific things that you do that involve like your, your hands go out to the side and like you really can't fight because you're, you're drowning, right? Um, anyway, why would I talk about drowning like, I don't know, this Pete, week? Because it involves and danger. And Wait, what kind of danger happens in water that isn't associated with eating less than half an hour before you go in it? Uh, shark to puss. Oh, shark. Yes, it's, <laughs> it's Shark Week. Not it's Shark it's Week. Not shark to puss uh, week, but Shark I can't week. wait. Yeah, alas, uh, too bad it's not Shark to puss week. I can't wait for Shark to puss. I, th- I think I tweeted the... Uh, <laughs> I think I tweeted the trailer out on the Overthinking It Twitter. We're uh, overthinking it on Twitter. But uh, no, it's Shark Week. Yes, Shark Week begins today or yesterday if you're listening to this podcast. But today as we record it uh, with, um, yeah, like Air Jaws 3D or something like that with uh, Great Whites jumping out of the... Is that, what is, is that the sequel to Air Bud? <laughs> Air Jaws. Sharks play basketball. I think there were sequels yeah, to yeah. Air Bud already. Yeah. There are many of them. There are many of them. Then there's a series of sequels where it's a bunch of puppies rather than one golden retriever, um, which uh, are like also the same. They're like Air the same Bud, production. Uh, Airbud Golden Receiver. Airbud. Yeah, we've talked about these recently on the podcast. Air Bud, like months ago, actually. Seventh <laughs> inning fetch. Yes. Airbud uh. spikes back, and uh, Airbuddies, which I think is the one that you're talking about, and um, Airbud Three. So it's like Air Jaws, Teeth of the Defense, like Air, air Jaws, like um, like Finish Line, oh, with a hyphen oh, between oh, Fin oh, and Nish, oh. and like Air Jaws, like Cartilaginous Set Breakpoint Tennis Match. <laughs> Wait, no, that doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> um, air Jaws, like Great White Hope, um, where, he's, <laughs> where he's boxing. <laughs> um, <laughs> Air Jaws is that the name of the podcast? Air Jaws, Great White Hope. Yeah. No, I think so. <laughs> um, so yeah. So, so Shark Week has become probably. I think I, I credit Tracy Jordan, the fictional character, with like really also making Shark Week feel special, even to people who never watch any of it. Because uh, that wonderful quote, "I live every week like it's Shark Week," really crystallized what Shark Week is about. It was um, all about, yeah, which absolutely. is just. The sense of thrill. I mean, are you guys? I mean, I've I've been accused, or not accused, but cited before as as being a purveyor of internet memes. Are you guys familiar with the shark one? Uh, or there's a bunch of different shark ones. No, there's like shark. Purvey, what, purvey your internet memes. Well, I believe that one of the phrases is uh, uh, "suck my dick, I'm a shark," right? And it's just like uh, a picture of a shark jumping out of the water. Um, <laughs> that's like, really like an impact font, like lolcat style caption, and that's all it says. Yeah, it's like a, either a comic that's or it's captioned or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that the shark, like, sort of is. Um, I've seen it used in in internet meme literature, as it were, as like a reference to sort of alarmism. Oh, and I think that's actually you know what this actually comes from. This comes from the summer. Uh, was it before? September 11th, remember, which was like the summer of 2000 or the summer of 2001, where the big stories were like Gary Condit and uh, and like Britney Spears with that snake, and one of the ones was like there were a bunch of shark attacks. It was like summer of sharks, uh, and it was just like like three people or something 
were attacked by sharks. And it was like, this is a thing that you all need to be terrified of is sharks. Uh, and, and so a shark on the internet has become sort of a symbol uh, of kind of self, self-declared unnecessary importance. Like, I am saying that this thing is really important. Uh, and, and like, you should pay attention to it right now. Like, it's a shark. Uh, um, just for fun. Whereas, of I course, mean, then we all what? Just for just for fud. I mean, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Like, just for. Uh, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. They're like sharks are the ultimate fud. Like shark because you can't see them because they are under the water and they are are sleek and camouflaged. Um, and you you know, there's they're definitely uh, they're definitely scary. Um, um, and they have teeth, rows of them. They keep growing. They grow back. <laughs> <laughs> sharks have made a big appearance. Like sharks have been very present on the Overthinking a podcast re- um, recently because we talked about them in context of Laura Croft, right? Didn't we? Um, oh, yeah, Angelina Jolie. She, totally yes. she punches a shark in the nose. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, now we've talked about bears today, right? And how awesome bears are. But imagine if Jesus was a shark. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, it's, that'd be pretty. It would be like he stops swimming for three days and then he starts swimming again. <laughs> um, <laughs> It'll be like the fishes and the fishes. Um, yeah, no, it'd be good. It's like you know, it's like Noah's going to need a bigger boat, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> so you got your thirty pieces of krill, Judas. <laughs> like, swim out of here. Uh, <laughs> There's, I mean, isn't there like, isn't Veggie Tales, uh, Bible stories where the uh, where all the characters are played by, um, uh, sharks? Yes. No vegetables. Sharks. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, right. I mean, they, they have a they're a slightly larger scope of the stories that they tell sometimes, but yeah, that's that's close enough. Yeah, and so um, that, I remember Superbooks was another Bible television cartoon for children, which was kind of crazy. There was like a flying house involved, and they would like go visit Joshua. All right, great. Um, (laughs) the the, um so like uh, i i think we should do a series on overthinking it i think we should do um i think we should do a series where we make all the the characters of the bible into sea creatures (laughs) yeah definitely we're assuming that this hasn't already been done before. Yeah, you, know, you know what we should do, actually? I have an idea what we should do right now. And when, when Jesus' shark is, is betrayed, uh, he says, with friends like this, who needs anemones? Yeah, Pete. <laughs> That's comedy. That's comedy. So uh, here's, me, here's my, one of my ideas. I think, have you, has someone used the title Shark Apocalypse yet? <laughs> I hope not. I'm Googling it right now. So what we need to do is we need to pick an arbitrary date that seems indeterminately far in the future, and we need to declare that, like, on that day, like, sharks will take over the Earth. Um, and then we either, like, write a movie or we write a bunch of short stories around this universe that we've created, this, like, storyline we've created. Like, no, that's absurd. There's no, sharks can't even go on land. Like, how are they going to take over the Earth? Like, even when they're swimming, like, they can't fight a boat most of the time, only sometimes. Like, you know, we could always poison the water. Like, there's no way shark. I mean, this is sort of like Deep Blue Sea, but, but Deep Blue Sea meets, like, uh, 2012. Um, <laughs> or, like, <laughs> or, like, sharks global. It's like sharks in Venice, except Venice is the world. And maybe it's related to global warming. Like, global warming raises the sea levels, and so the sharks, like, are, are sort of kicked out of their normal habitats by the changing sea currents. And, like, some of them have are developed, like, mud skipper-like pads in their stomachs that allow them to, like, lurch down highways and eat people. Um, 
I don't know. I feel like I feel like if that that's what the world needs right now is that we need to blow this whole apocalypse thing out of the water um, with shark apocalypse. And I'm I'm going to say what say what day should it happen? It should be like it should be in the summer because that's when most of the shark attack stories happen on the news because it's slow news days and they like to talk about shark attacks and also because people are swimming. Hey, it's what like what do you want to say, Mark? July? You want to make it August? August August 29th in, in honor of Judgment Day. Okay, so uh, it's also my sister's birthday, so that's great. So <laughs> August 29th, how far in the future do you think it's feasible for sharks to develop the ability organically to conquer the planet from humanity <laughs> 20, and from um, other animals as well? 2014. <laughs> 24, that seems reasonable. That seems totally reasonable. I think but given what we know about sharks now, I think in four years they will be capable of overthrowing us also because of our inability to do even basic things right. Uh, well, those, those, we, will fail. we have to assume that they have been evolving already. August right? so 29th, 2014. It's the shark apocalypse. May God have <laughs> mercy on your soul. They haven't evolved in 10 million years. There's no time like the present. <laughs> like shark apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Well, I think we've, we've beat this dead shark. <laughs> I think we've punched this shark right in the nose. <laughs> and then... <laughs> <laughs> and then Joe, that's that's the overthinking it uh, version of jumping the shark when when the uh, when you've really you know ridden an idea far past its prime you uh, you don't jump the shark as did the Fonzie uh, as did Fonzie you um you punch it in the nose so uh, why don't we wrap <laughs> for right. for tonight right. boom, um, boom cha boom boom cha yo yo my name is Santa Lena. wait no I'm not sorry. <laughs> You mean rap with a W? Wow, not you're, you're soul, S O L E, but rap with a W. Okay. You're That's going it. to um, uh, you're going to rap like, and not only are you going to rap, you're going to like mid '80s old school rap, like "Hey, my name yeah. is Fenzel, and I'm here to say." And I'm here to. There's a line you never hear in songs anymore. <laughs> I'm here to say, like nobody says that ever. It's not like Jim Jones is like, bullet. My name is Jim Jones, and I'm here to say that I'm something, something in a major way. Like, nobody, nobody. Says <laughs> uh, maybe, Sol- maybe Soldier Boy does that. If anybody does it, Soldier Boy <laughs> probably does it. There's, oh, we, we should do that. So, your boy? S O L E J E R boy? Is he going to be in the Shark Apocalypse? He's in the Shark Apocalypse. I want to do, I want to do a podcast figure. Actually, let me put out, let me put out the call to, um, uh, to the uh, Overthinking It podcast audience. Here's what I want to do. I want to do a, uh, where we, uh, a podcast where we talk about cliche lines in, in film. And uh, one of them, uh, it, or in television, one of them is um, the fact that whenever anyone uh, on television says maybe, they have to follow it up with just maybe. Uh, <laughs> right? uh, another one is, um, uh, and this is a more recent one, is you say, uh, this is me blank. Like, I am getting over it. This is me getting over it. You know what I mean? Or I am breaking up with you. This is me breaking up with you. You know? Uh, I, I, have, I have several. Uh, I have several. And maybe, just maybe, we can do a podcast devoted to these. If you send in your favorites to uh, Overthinking It po- uh, podcast at overthinkingit.com or uh, the voicemail 203-285-6401 where we can also 
receive SMS messages. So uh, this will be different from the, the cliche Mageddon. Uh, how exactly? Because it focuses on uh, on television and not on film. Well, there's enough distinction to make there for that. God, why do you have to poop right on my fantastic idea? <laughs> you know, no, I'm not saying it's not a fantastic. It's different because it's not taglines and promotions. It's dialogue writing and scene work. Right, exactly. Which we did for movies, but you're saying that there's enough separation between what happens in movies and what happens in TV that, okay, we'll do this. Ah! You are just determined to pee in my porridge on this one, aren't you? I'm just Look, like, if you guys don't team up, you're all going to get eaten by sharks. I'm just These sharks are going to overwhelm us if we don't team up. And huh. chomping, chomping, chomping away at your ideas. Yeah. As if so, <laughs> so remember that the, um, that the shark apocalypse is August 29th, 2014. Uh, <laughs> that, the, um, that the next episode of the Overthinking and Podcast is in a week. And maybe, just maybe, you can join us then. But if you don't, maybe, just maybe, you can find us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it probably, probably doesn't probably doesn't yeah, we never talked about that Zac Efron movie oh with the ghosts <laughs> the dead with the ghosts haunted ghosts hope he gets eaten by a shark <laughs> spoiler alert I think Come he dies I think hey, they I, I think they do die at sea in like a capsized boat. Uh, at least I seem to remember oh. this from the the review. So you know, nothing says that that the corpse is not then eaten by a shark. You know what? Thank you. Know just what to say to make me feel better. Thanks, Matt.